Tired of jumping from job to job? How about a career in a recession-proof industry where you can make a difference and help create a healthier living and working environment? The pest management industry gives you the opportunity to work with more independence. OPC Pest Services will give you a chance to grow with advancement. Come be a part of our team at OPC Pest Services. Apply online at opcpest.com careers. That's opcpest.com careers. Where do you go to find all your favorite wine, beer, and spirits with selections customized to local tastes? For over 25 years, that go-to place has been Cox's Spirit Shop. Cox's, Louisville's go-to liquor store. More V-Show with Bob Valvano is now right here on ESPN 680 and 105.7. You cannot find a place on the, on the interweb that will give you this information. Uh, the NCAA doesn't do anything to keep track of it. I guess you play whatever the hell you want. But who has JV teams? The junior varsity basketball team at the University of North Carolina is the only one that gets really a mention. It's the only team in the ACC to have a JV program. They have non-scholarship students an opportunity to play. Uh, they have tryouts in October at the beginning of the season. They're only allowed to play in the JV team for two years, and then they are given a chance to try out for the varsity team as a walk-on. Um, and as I said, the JV team coached by the varsity assistant, at least one of whom, then you're given the opportunity to gain head coaching experience while fulfilling their assistant duties. Hubert Davis, pr- prior to his promotion as head coach for the varsity, was the head coach of the JV team. That seems almost quaint. <laughs> it seems it's, I feel like they should, those pictures should all be in black and white of the, those teams. It should be from the uh, medicine balls and black socks in the background. Um, but uh, they're, they're playing. They had a JV game the other day. I know that. But I don't know if anybody else who has one. It's, and you can't find much information about that. So that's just another indication that the times, as Bob Dylan sang, they are changing. Uh, Tim Sullivan joins us right now to talk about that very subject. Uh, hello, Tim. I, I just I, – I, I, is there ever been a time in your mind – and I, this is not a snide question. It's a legitimate question where the, the, the infrastructure, for lack of a better word, of college sports has ever in any and all ways changed as much as it has in, what, the last five years? Oh, I can't think there has. I mean, I think uh, we've seen incremental change across a lot of uh, areas, but what's happened uh, within the last uh, few years is, is like the Industrial Revolution. It's just uh, you know, complete tra- completely transformed the game, and it's still in progress. And you know, who knows where uh, where we're going to wind up? But uh, as long as uh, Congress doesn't get involved and and the universities are uh, unwilling to negotiate with the athletes as employees, uh, I think we're going to have a lot of chaos. I just, I, I just, I, you know, I, I don't want to be, uh, whoa, the sky is falling. I don't want to be that guy. But I just, I don't see how it's sustainable. I, and, and the problem is, here's my problem, is very often there are people that say that, and when I listen to them, 
I realize they're not really talking about the health of intercollegiate sports. They're talking about their own inconvenience. They don't want to have to deal with the way things have changed. And so they make it sound like, oh, well, if we don't make this, basically what they're saying, if I can interpret it, is if you don't change it to bend to my will, then this whole thing's going to go away. And that's not always the case. Sometimes just because you don't like it, there's a lot of things I don't particularly love about how it's going, but I understand why they're going that way. And I would suggest trying to figure out how to manage it because like you talked about i just the players are going to get money i mean and so and the way you're giving the money right now doesn't seem to be sustainable in the long haul in my opinion so who's going to have the wherewithal to come up with a system to that is sustainable because uh, you know you hear people talking about that i hear coaches say it but like i said i always take it with a grain of salt because they don't like it because it's making their jobs harder but i don't think that should be the only reason for a, a rule change it should be really for the good of the game but i don't see anybody out there really coming up with a, a real long-term solution for the good of the game well i don't i don't know the how you get to that uh with uh, the the two sides kind of locked into their positions at at, uh, at present uh you know until uh until the universities realize that they're not going to be able to roll back uh, the the law of the land uh, to 19 19- 60 or before, uh, uh, you know, I, I think they're they're just kind of going about things uh, as best they can, but really without confronting the, uh, the central issues. And it, it's uh, it's it reminds me, and I keep going back to my baseball writing days. But you know, when uh, free agency came in, I remember interviewing. Bob Housen, who had uh, built the Reds into a dynasty before free agency and then watched as the uh, uh, financial structure of the game changed in such a way that the Reds were unable to compete. And and I remember talking to him, and and he sounded as if all of these changes that that occurred were temporary and that, you know, eventually things would go back the way they'd been. But, you know, they never did, and... And as far as I can tell, they never will. Uh, once the, the players gained the rights to free agency and, and salary arbitration, uh, they weren't going to give those up. And they've gone on numerous work stoppages to uh, ensure that. Um, so, uh, you know, college uh, athletics is still at, at a stage where it hasn't decided how far it's willing to go to uh, accommodate uh, the new uh, world order. And Jim Harbaugh has talked about uh, paying athletes, uh, uh, given the, uh, the massive revenues that are uh, available, uh, and particularly in the Big Ten and the SEC, and to a lesser extent in the other conferences, uh, it's hard to argue that uh, that some kind of redistribution, uh, redistribution formula uh, is not appropriate because you know when, when coaches are signing uh, contracts worth uh, nine and ten million dollars a year, including uh, you know poor Florida State, which uh, is trying to get out of the ACC because they're not making enough money, and yet they uh, are, have agreed to a uh, six-year or is it an eight-year extension with uh, Mike Norvell for ten million plus? Uh, it, it's really hard to argue that uh, that the coaches and the administrators should get all the money, and that uh, the players who are putting themselves at physical risk should uh, depend only on NIL 
income. At some point, that television income is, is going to get siphoned to the players. And, uh, you know, how soon that's going to happen, I can't tell you, but uh, I really feel it's inevitable. You have witnessed the restructure of the whole media empire. I mean, from newspapers being at the center of things to now, I don't even know what the hell's going on, really. I mean, there's between uh, um, podcasts and and uh, all these people involved in the broadcasting of the games themselves. That I mean, I, the CW has their own sports department. That still kind of amazes me. But the reason I bring this up, the reason why it was timely for me today is twofold. One, I was just in Texas where the Houston, the University of Texas has a new basketball arena. They built it last year. I didn't see it last year, though, because I didn't have one of their games. It's pretty spectacular. It really is amazing. It's not nearly as big as the Yum Center, but it's got bells and whistles that are beyond anything I've ever seen before. Forget about just the Yum Center. And the reason I bring that up is because it's designed for concerts as much as it is for basketball it'll seat a, 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 a between ten and eleven thousand for basketball and then the top part is deliberately closed off and they have these screens up there that block the top their video screens but then for concerts they flip up and they make the place have the acoustics of like carnegie hall it's unbelievable and the concert capacity is like fifteen thousand. and here's my point is if they built this and money is so such a driving force wouldn't you want those extra seats for basketball, but they don't, quote-unquote, need them? They don't need the extra 5,000 seats. They could sell maybe not all of them, but many of them. Like the game I did Saturday was Baylor and you, and Texas, and it was sold out. They could have sold way more seats, but they don't, and they don't need to. And so I see some schools like that, and you make the mention, Florida State's giving you know, millions and millions to football coaches, extending their contract. And uh, you, you just see the arms race that these schools have with facilities. And you say, well, evidently they're not, you know, the, the money's not going to dry up because that's what I see in pro sports. We heard the sky is falling, the sky is falling, but, you know, the attendance just keeps going up. And in, in baseball, the attendance dwarfs what it was in the years that baseball was supposedly, quote unquote, in their glory days. So, but every business in the country that I can think of has at some point reached a shakeout. They, they, you know, they've just reached a shakeout stage. And that's what I'm wondering about college sports. Is, are they immune to having a shakeout, or are we headed to that? Because somebody at ESPN was talking to me the other day saying, the gravy train for TV deals is going to run out soon. They, they just not, it's not just going to keep going up and up and up, which is what some people seem to think. And if that dries up, a lot of the other stuff will dry up. So, I mean, where do we go with your experience, you have seen, as Johnny Cash would say, you've seen some things. So are we headed for a shakeout in college sports or no? Well, there's a saying in the stock market that uh, trees don't grow to, don't grow to heaven. And I think that's, <laughs> you know, that's the key here. Uh, there, there's going to be a, a limit and there's going to be uh, a, a change in the, uh, in the haves and the have-nots. And I think we've, you know, we're already seeing it with the, uh, Coaching of the schools from the, the Pac-12 most recently, and uh, you know, Texas and Oklahoma joining the SEC. Uh, you know, I think that in, in a few years we're going to see probably two or at most three massive conferences, and you know, the schools that are not included are are likely to uh, to operate at a much lower level as. As you know, in effect, they already do. But 
uh, it'll be more formalized. And as more money gravitates to a to a smaller number of schools, uh, you'll see more and more separation. I mean, I think that that's just inevitable. And you know, I, how many businesses have started in this country and and gone bankrupt? Uh, you know, I, I couldn't even begin to estimate. But you know, Microsoft survives, Apple survives, uh, and flourishes. Uh, and I think you know the, the same principle is going to apply. And you know, certain schools have invested heavily in football to try to keep pace. And you know, it's it's really hard to replicate a uh, century of tradition and uh, facilities and and you know following. Uh, you know, one of the things I I learned. Uh, researching a piece recently for Leo was that uh, when uh, Cal Berkeley joins the, or not Cal Berkeley, UCLA joins the the Big Ten, that that conference is going to have eight of the ten largest alumni bases in the country. Well, it's pretty clear to me why uh, their media rights are worth so much more. They've got all these eyeballs that uh, other, other leagues don't have. And you know, there's a, there's a natural selection involved here, and, uh, uh, and and sadly, kind of a planned obsolescence. Yeah, I, I just uh, I you know I don't want to belabor it. We get a lot of texts when we bring this up, and a lot of them are coming in now. So I just I uh, especially in a town like this, I mean, we don't have pro sports. Uh, no disrespect to the women's soccer team, um, and so. Yeah, they, they, they I would think there's a lot of people who have a dog in this fight, and I don't know where the hell it's going. And I've never been I, – I don't think NIL is sustainable. The conference, the conference landscape is is completely filled with, uh, you know, potholes and landmines. Who knows where that's going, as you just pointed out. Uh, I, I just – the whole thing. And, you know, I look at things – and no dis- disrespect to Kenny, but – you know, he got it. He got one of the prime head coaching jobs in the country, and he's never been a head coach before. Uh, and shouldn't there be like, you know, a, kind of a a more formalized like the NBA? To their credit, they take guys who've coached in the G League and and in Europe because they want guys who've had some head coaching experience. Because history shows us if you don't, you know, it hasn't worked out that well. See Isaiah Thomas and. Clyde Drexler and, you know, people of that nature. So they, they try and find people who've been head coaches somewhere. I mean, Patrick Ewing didn't work out so well. He'd never been head coach. He waited a long time as an assistant, but it's a far, it's a different cry to be the head coach. Um, and I just, I, I see all this money that they spend on things. Shouldn't, couldn't they spend some of it to make a better infrastructure for the sport itself? But I don't think that's a priority. And I, I just don't think that's very wise. Well, I, I think that uh, many universities and, and enterprises of all sorts uh, invest in what they think they are going to get a quick return. And they don't uh, necessarily want to plow a lot of money into research and development. Yeah, true. Uh, That's true. You know, and I think, you know, to some companies, it, it, it it's almost a luxury. But if you're going to grow... Uh, you have to come up with new products. I mean, I, you know, I'm not thinking of sports particularly, but uh, or, or find ways to, to open new markets. I mean, the, I think forward-thinking people realize that uh, you, know, you may be doing very well right now, but 
there are opportunities that that can keep you on a, uh, a rising trajectory. I mean, look what the NFL did with NFL Europe. Look at what the NBA yep. has done internationally. Uh, you know, they they didn't get a big return out of that uh, immediately, but those are op- obviously. Uh, ways to to grow the pie long term and you know if the nfl eventually expands to london um you know that's an enormous market uh i don't you know i don't know how the logistics of that work but you know i think that's that's more likely than them going to portland uh which you know seems to be uh one of the, the cities that's been talked about as a possible expansion Hub. And, and and I think the same is true in college sports. And, and, and you know, you talk about Kenny Payne and his lack of head coaching experience. Uh, I think that this was kind of a unique situation. Uh, a lot of forces collided uh, that led him to get the job. Uh, it appears to have been a miscalculation, to put it kindly. Um, and I don't I don't think that's that's a scenario that we will see repeated. I think the next coach will have uh, credentials that uh, that are readily understood and, uh, and experience doing that. And, uh, um, you know, I, I feel badly for Kenny. I think he was thrust into a situation that, that was going to be difficult and, and, and he didn't make it easier. Um, but uh, uh, any university at this point with so much money at stake uh, in their program is obliged to make a uh, serious search for a uh, experienced coach, particularly at a, a place with this history and profile here and with, you know, the financial um, ramifications that, that go with, uh, with that, that program. I mean, the, you know, you've got a huge arena downtown, you've got a, uh, downtown businesses that depend on it, and uh, you know there's uh, all kinds of ripples that flow from that, and, and, and I think it's incumbent on on U of L to get it right next time. You've talked to a number of the people at a much higher level than than I have in terms of the decision making process, and I mean I've been fortunate enough to talk to Josh a little bit, but not a lot, and really none of the other people, the Junior Bridgmans and, and the like. If you want one of those kinds of guys, I mean, you can't money whip people anymore. They're all making unbelievable amounts of money. You got to find somebody who, for one reason or another, would just like to come back here. And that's why I hear certain people mention, like McCrone, who would like to come back. I don't know if that's true. He's at a pretty good place, but maybe he would. Um, you know, I, I personally, I, I will use him as an example. I was not a big fan at the beginning not i was not i didn't like him i'm just saying i didn't know anything about him so when i say i wasn't a big fan i was switzerland i didn't really know but now that i've done a whole bunch of scott drew games and gotten to know him that's exactly the guy th- that kind of guy is what you like i mean he took over a program that had a murder i mean what you talk about a mess they had a, a coach actively involved in a murder cover-up and he got them on the rails within like three years, and they've been 25 wins or more every year since. He's won a national championship. He's great with the media. He's great with fans. That's the kind of guy you got to identify. Can they get a guy like that, given the constraints? Don't they, won't they have some money constraints? Or what do you know about that? 
I don't know how deeply uh, they can go uh, from a contract standpoint, but you know, he's obviously Scott Drew is obviously uh, on the tip of a lot of tongues right now, and uh, part of that is I think he's, he has Indiana roots, and yeah, uh, you know, Baylor is. Uh, has, has had a, a remarkable turnaround. They've got a, a brand new arena. Uh, there's a lot of great selling points. Um, I think the, the level of passion for basketball in this part of the country has a strong appeal to a lot of coaches uh, who who want to be the biggest deal in town. I mean, yeah. that's that's the difference between here and Austin, Texas. You know, if if you come here and you are the head basketball coach. You are the biggest deal. Oh yeah, you know. And with all due respect to Jeff Brown, you are the biggest deal, and uh, you're playing in an NBA quality arena. Uh, I don't think they they continue to call it the uh, most spectacular arena in, in sports, but uh, it, it's uh, it's a little dated, but uh, still awfully good. Um, you're playing in the ACC. You're on television all the time. Um, if you can win these fans back, you would you could run for mayor, uh, and that's a step down probably from the head basketball coach <laughs> in, uh, in Louisville. Uh, I I think they'll get a uh, a quality, experienced coach. I don't know if it'll be Scott Drew. I think that's a fantasy for a lot of people, and you know if it, if it becomes a reality, I think that would be you know terrific. Um, um, you know, Mick Cronin's got, had some issues at UCLA this year. You know, maybe he's lost a little of his luster. I, you know, I don't know. I, I don't really know him personally, though. We've, we've uh, uh, you know, he grew up in Cincinnati, where I worked for 25 years. Um, his dad was a great high school coach. Um, you know, and, and and of course he was worked for Rick Pitino, so he's got uh, he's got a lot of uh, selling points. Um, there are certain or other names. You know, I can't imagine Jay Wright is going to come out of retirement to take this job as close as he is to Josh Hurd. Um, you know, if that were to happen, that would be a home run. Uh, but uh, I would I would think the list goes longer than that, and will need to go longer than that because uh, the kind of people that you're going to uh, approach initially uh, are probably more likely to say no than yes. I um, I just I, I fear I don't care if you somehow manage to meld John Wooden and Adolph Rupp and Red Auerbach and uh, you know I don't care uh, and they all came back in one fell swoop. I just everybody here is going to leave. There's no way they're going to stay. If you're, I know how players think they're not going to go through a year like this and stay. I don't think I know a lot of people think. Well, wouldn't they say, well, hell, I'll play for the new guy? No. They will not, just like the guys last year didn't say we're going to stay and play for the new guy. So you're going to be starting all over again. And and I don't know. I mean, and people love to say to me, well, the portal, you can be good right away. Yeah, they should be better than they are two years into it. But um, I don't think it's going to be easy. They're going to still be – they don't have the NCAA thing hanging over their head. But, um, I mean, the only reason I bring it up is because I do wonder sometimes. Like if you're – Scott, let's just use Scott Drew as an example. He's got a brand-new arena. He's loved there. They win 25 games a year. 
do you want to go into a place where for the first year you might be getting your ass kicked again and people are going to, they're already on rather impatient about what's going on um and that's true for most of the other guys you're talking about i, I don't know does that play into it do you think i don't know you know i, I thought about theo epstein you know who uh built the red sox in, in the world champions and then uh, went to the cubs and did the same thing and uh you know maybe there's some guys who just like a challenge you know who who uh are on cruise control at their at their current place uh things are rolling they can win 23 25 games a year uh without uh you know breaking the rules or uh losing sleep um you know i don't i, I don't know scott drew personally i don't know what motivates him I don't know if uh, being closer to his family may uh, may play into this at all. And you know, I I think these are questions that that would be worth asking if you know if you had access to them. But um, there are other coaches. I mean, there there are guys uh, at uh, lower levels um, who have had a lot of success and you know could uh, enhance their paychecks uh, dramatically by uh, by moving to Louisville. There are, places, there are guys who would probably love to compete in the ACC and are confident, think they can turn it around. And, and I don't know that everybody will leave because I'm not sure everybody's going to have a place to land. Yeah. Uh, you know, how many of these players are really going to be, uh, you know, coveted by, uh, by other programs or by, you know, better situations? Uh, you know, I've watched this, this team enough to to wonder, you know, how marketable a lot of them are. But, uh, you know, the other, the flip side of that is if you're a new coach and you come in, how many of them do you want? Uh, you know, you, you, you need to have enough guys for practice, but uh, there does seem to be a, a, a pretty fluid opportunity to, uh, to recruit out of the portal. And, you know, you get a, a, a new freshman class, although, it's going to be hard to, to do that uh, if you're coming in in, in March uh, to put a class together unless you can uh, attract uh, the guys that uh, were targeted for your current position. Um, but I don't, you know, I don't see this as a one-year turnaround. I think it's going to take a little time, and uh, I, I think a new coach with credentials will be given at least some time. Um, you know, Kenny Payne, had the misfortune of, of no head coaching experience that only wins four games in his first year. And if you do that, uh, people are going to be on you pretty quickly. But uh, uh, I would think it's going to be hard to, to duplicate that that bad a season uh, whenever you uh, make a change. What do you make of him starting his son? Do you think it was just, hey, I got to try something? Do you read more into it than that? You know, there are some people saying, well, he senses he's not going to be here and give his kid a chance to start a game. What, what do you make of that? Anything? Do you read any more into that than other than just he's, you know, shaking things up? Oh, I think what you just said. I mean, I, you know, I don't think Kenny is uh, unaware of uh, of how precarious the situation is, and maybe he thinks that, uh, you know, if he gives his son a chance, on the road, uh, you know, as a probably as a one-shot deal, you know, what's uh, they can they can only fire you once, um, 
you know, but I, I haven't talked to him about that, and I, you know, I, I'm uh, uh, probably as much in the dark or more than uh, than all the people who've uh, reacted to it. But uh, it, uh, it it certainly didn't go over very well, and uh, based on his stat line, uh, didn't uh, have a significant impact on uh, on their uh, prospects of success. It's. Uh how much did Rick make when he was he making eight million dollars a year here? Was he making that much, Patino? When he left? I don't think he was making that much. Um, I, I don't. I don't have the numbers in front of me. Um, but he, you know, he was very well paid, and of course, the salary levels of, of uh, Division One coaches, particularly football and basketball, have gone up uh, pretty dramatically since he was here. Uh, I I think he was probably oh I, I don't even want to put a number on it because I'd probably be way off but I, it seemed to me that that he he got uh, two or three million from the university directly and then he got uh, an equivalent amount for uh, media services uh, you know and being on the radio and and various things it's just it's. It's the way they do things. Uh, it, you know, effectively, it was all salary. Mm. Um, but uh, he was not hurting for for cash. I know that. And uh, part of the, uh, I guess, the uh, controversy or the concern about uh, the Nike deal uh, at the time was that you know almost all of that money was earmarked for him. You mean the Adidas uh, deal? Adidas deal, not Nike. Deal. Yeah. I should. Get, Definitely know the difference get, by now. Get shot for um, that. Yeah, but uh, um, and uh, you know, as much money as he had made from the Celtics and the, the Knicks, uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't think salary was really a, a big motivator for him. Um, it was more of a probably more of an ego thing and feeling like he was appreciated. Um, but you know, he's got. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm guessing between 50 and 100 million dollars net worth so uh i don't uh, i don't worry about uh, rick patino's next meal <laughs> i'm fairly certain he's he's uh he's not living in a in a, sh- in a short-term rental i'm pretty sure he's doing okay for himself all right buddy uh how about uh what you, you like lamar's chances to get to the super bowl or win it uh, before i let you go last comment what do you think i, I do I, I i would like him a little better if kansas city had not pulled out that game yesterday uh, I, you know, when in doubt, it's uh, it's it's tough to beat the reigning champions, even uh, when you have home field. Uh, I, I do like the way the Ravens are playing. I think Lamar is at very close to the top of his game. Uh, and, uh, I, you know, as an old Baltimore Colts fan, I, I would uh, certainly uh, like to see Baltimore in the Super Bowl. But uh, I'm, I'm certainly wary of the Chiefs. Taylor Swift or no, um, and uh, I, I think uh, it, it should be a terrific game. All right, brother. Good talking to you. We'll see you. I guess you're going to the Duke game tomorrow. I'll see you tomorrow then, huh? I don't think I'll be at that game. Uh, what? Of things wow. And, uh, wow. Frankly, I don't know that the story is going to change very much between now and whenever a coaching change is made so i'm gonna pick my spot all right fair enough all right well someone i'll see you when i see you then take care thanks all right tim sullivan with us yeah i don't know uh you never know when you're gonna see history like did you see the story 
yesterday, uh, Nick Dunlap won on the PGA Tour. He's a college sophomore. An amateur hasn't won a PGA Tour event since Phil Mickelson did it 30 years ago. 30. So that doesn't happen. And now that's a fascinating topic, by the way, because I was I watched I was happened to be up very early this morning watching the Golf Channel and they were analyzing the options that he faces. He doesn't get prize money because he yeah. played as an amateur yeah. and he doesn't get FedEx Cup points. But he does get an exemption to play for the next two years in non they got those now those special tournaments that aren't majors but they're specialer because they were trying to compete with the live tour. He can't play in those either. But this is fascinating to me. He gets a a bid to the um he now gets a bid to the PGA championship because he won the tour. He gets he already has invitations to the US Open and the Masters, because yeah. he is the reigning U.S. amateur champion. Right. So he gets to play in those two events, and he would now get to play in the PGA. If he declares... Oh, oh, and he gets... No, yeah, if he, no, no, I got it backwards. He, If he stays an amateur, he gets to play in the British Open, too, yes. because he's the U.S. amateur champion. If he declares that he's a professional, which he has the option to do any time in the next calendar year... He doesn't get to play in the British Open anymore. He has to give that, but he would get in the PGA. He would be allowed to get in the PGA, and uh, I don't know if he would get to play in those fancy schmancy tournaments or not. Because the reason he can't is because he's uh, he gets an exemption for having won this tournament, but he's not a card carrying tour member. That's only open to the card carrying tour members. So uh, I'll tell you, man, I would. I think I might take the damn thing. I mean, it'd be fun to play in the Open Championship, but he's got to think to himself, I was a college sophomore. I'll qualify for that again. But, I mean, what do you? What is the? What is prize? I've got to look that up. What is I prize? I think it was like 150000 or no, something. No, 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 no. It's got to be a million dollars. Yeah, it probably is now. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean I, 150 is back when I was. I would go pro. I would qualify well, for because the, you still get, the Open later. You get to play in. The, the PGA takes the yeah. place of the Open Championship. That's all. And, yeah. and You're playing you, in the big ones And anyway. you get a lot of money. Yes. You do, yeah. So that if you're be, that good, you're going to play in the open for a lot of years. I mean, it was it was pretty exciting too, to be honest, because so he had they he gave had, the money to the second place. Guy, yeah, think, that's what they, they do. Ju- was Justin Thomas, wasn't it? I thought it was. It might, have look. Been. It might have been Sam Burns. I don't know. I've got to go look it up. But but the point is, um, it it's pretty um, amazing that you don't see that going on in sports very much anymore. Where it, it's like. If, if something hasn't been done in 30 years, chances are it's not going to be done again. That's kind of what it comes down to. Um, let me see if I can find what he made. Yeah. First prize. Well, actually, it wasn't uh, Thomas. Thomas finished tied for third. I don't even know how this guy says his name. So we got a call, and the Luz- guy said that he is eligible. If he turns pro, he is eligible for the elevated events, as they call oh, them. Oh, the elevated events. Yes. Yeah, that's right. So, so that's the non Yeah, well, because he would be a card-carrying Correct. tour member, which you have to be to get in those. So Correct. that's why I'm saying the upside, what he gives up is he gives up the Open Championship. That's what he gives up. Which he'll qualify for. Eventually, down the road, you would think he would. Yes. Um, if he's that good, he'll play in a lot. I mean, he would, he, but he, he qualifies. He would, so he would qualify for the elevated tour events correct and he would then qualify for the pga so he, he would substitute one major for another seems like a no-brainer to no me. I, and the first prize money in this event which he can't even if he declares himself a pro now he still can't get it right it would be 1.5 million dollars yeah 
That's I don't. That's wow. I don't care what you're making in nil. <laughs> I don't think you're touching that. Whoa. Yeah, there's some football players that are making more than that in nil money nowadays. No, we were talking about that with uh, with um, um, Baycott from Carolina, who people said, "Why didn't he go pro?" And some and you know. Um, Dan Bonner said, "Without he wasn't being snarky. He was just telling the truth. He said, the pros, the NBA people don't think he can play in the NBA because he can't shoot it. And he's probably, so he's going to wind up playing in the G League or in Europe. He's probably making more staying in Carolina. Might as well stay there and be, and they might win a championship and he's having a great time. And that makes a lot of sense. So a lot of what women's athletes do, they make more in college than they do in their Well, around here. Yeah, well, yeah, that's probably Caitlin true. Caitlin Clark's going to make more at Iowa than she's ever going to make in the WNBA. In the WNBA, but they make what they make in Europe dwarfs it. Oh, yeah. That's why most of them play in both. That's most right. of them go over and play in Europe, and then they come back and play in the summer here, yeah. which is a shame, actually. They should be able to stay here and and uh, make a uh, a good living. Uh, Nick Dunlap. But he this the, the event, his winning it was pretty dramatic because he actually fell out of the lead. And then he had to come back and uh, um, and 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 win it. Actually, it was not, since ninety one. I thought it was in. I thought it was ninety three. It's thirty three years. First amateur to win on the tour in thirty three years. Phil Mickelson won at the Tucson Open in nineteen ninety one. He's the he's the. It's his. It was his fourth tour event. He became the seventh amateur winner since nineteen forty five. The third since nineteen fifty seven. And uh, that was impressive because he did. I mean, you know, when you fall out of the lead, man, it's you know, you just don't think about a guy coming back at that point. You feel like, well, his opportunity slipped by, but man, he came back. Uh, he lost the lead on the front nine, but down the stretch, he he had a couple of really bad uh, shots on the back nine and overcame them. Um, uh, he, he and he and Sam Burns were tied for the lead. Oh, Burns put his shot in the water and double bogeyed to 17th. Um, but, uh, oh, this is one of those times ignorance was bliss. I didn't realize this. When Dunlap went to the tee on 18, he thought he had a two-stroke lead because Burns had just put his tee shot in the water. He didn't realize that Bizudenhout, I'm not sure how he says his name. Forgive me for butchering it. He had, didn't see that he had made a birdie just a few moments ago, so he was only one shot behind him uh, or two shots behind him. No, he was one shot behind him. How about that? So uh, he he parred the last hole and uh, finished at 29 under. It's, it, this tournament plays like a pitch and putt course for these guys, taking nothing away from his win. Everybody's playing the same, the same, um, the same course, but still, it's it's designed to get very low scores. If he stays in Alabama, he gets in the Masters, the U.S. Open, the British Open as the U.S. Amateur Champion. If he turns pro, enjoys the PGA Tour, he still gets in the Masters and U.S. Open, along with the remaining seven $20 million signature events on tour. Yikes. That's pretty impressive. He's got to go. He's got to turn pro. Seriously. Um, you know, strike while the iron's hot, dude. Go. Uh, well, this should give you some idea of the way he's leaning. He said... <laughs> <laughs> this is a great quote. He said he's planning to play at Torrey Pines next week on a sponsor exemption, but he acknowledged he also brought his homework with him to California. But then he said, probably not going to do it, though. <laughs> yeah, that should be a little bit of a tip. Uh, no question. Yeah. 
Very, uh, you wouldn't do homework either after you just won a PGA no, event. You no. shot a 60 on Saturday. No homework for you. Uh, I'm good. You know, if it, it, it's an indication, I hope. Because, I mean, Phil Mickelson's had one of the legendary careers, and he won as an amateur. And uh, this kid may be the next big thing, and uh, that would be very cool. Um, I hope it turns out that way. John Rom's name is really John Rom Rodriguez? Yeah. The things I'm learning today on this show. Like, Italians, it's weird how they have these random last names that nobody hey, calls I'm Italian. Them. I'm, I'm, not, I'm, my, no. my name's not Rodriguez. He's not from Italy anyway. He's from Spain. Spain. Right? That's why I meant Spaniards. Spain, Italy. What are you doing? You're throwing, yeah, throwing this all together. Yeah, there you go. Uh, yeah, well, gobble, gobble. John Rom Rodriguez. I guess he just wants to go by John Rom instead of John Rodriguez. Uh, wow. Oh, I didn't know that this event. See, the other thing I didn't know, this event for years and years and years was known as the Bob Hope Desert Classic. They play on more than one golf course. Uh, there was a time when all these tournaments had celebrity names on them. Bob Hope had one. Bing Crosby had one. Danny Thomas had one. Um, Jamie Farr had one on the LPGA Tour. Sammy Davis had one in Hartford, Connecticut. Now, just get the corporate money, baby. Give me the corporate dough. All right. Uh, yeah, Texas says, go pro, young man. Go pro. It's easy for me to say, but... Whew. That's, uh, I mean, the, the upside looks like it far outweighs the down. Plus, you don't do your homework. <laughs> we'll come back. Stay with us. It's a Monday, ESPN 680-1057. Taking care of your family isn't always easy, so we make sure getting care when you need it is. With Baptist Health Urgent and Virtual Care, we bring you more options and greater convenience, too. With video visits available 24-7 and online check-in through MyChart for in-person visits. To check in online or to set up a video visit, go to baptisthealth.com slash care anywhere. When it's time to replace your heating and air system, we know people want options. That's why you'll always get a free second opinion with BJ Heating and Cooling. Plus, for a limited time, get 0% financing for 60 months on a new Bryant system. Call the experts you can trust at BJ Heating and Cooling. Be a part of the show. Text Bobby V on the UPS Jobs text line at 437-9680. Boy, he is fun to watch, Lamar. I'll tell you what. I mean, he is just doing everything, running with it. Hey, he is. He's there's there's a handful of guys that uh, you know. I don't know. It's hard to describe, but like when they, not just when they're in the game, but. Like when he when he drops back to pass, there's half of me that hopes he can't find anybody open because I want to see him just go run like a maniac because he runs the one where he scored and then ran up the runway. <laughs> He's just there, there. There's something a je ne sais quoi, such as it were, about certain athletes that you just you can't take your eyes off them. And it goes back to when I was a kid. I mean, Joe Namath could never run, but he was that way when he played with it. The, the reason the Jets kind of got even with the Giants and arguably passed them for a while is because you couldn't – if they were two games on, like the Giants were the 1 o'clock game, then the Jets came on at 4, 
the excitement was palpably different as soon as the Jet game came on because, I mean, he might throw five interceptions. It wasn't like you knew he was going to be great, but he was going to do something spectacular. And that's kind of, you know, if you watch Steph Curry when he's at his best, he's that way. When I was a a kid, Mickey Mantle, you know, you you thought there on Mickey might get up this inning. He's going to get up next inning. I know that. He might do anything. He might strike out four times. He might hit three home runs. He might hit one over the roof. He might strike out, take his batting helmet and fling it from first base all the way into the third base dugout. I mean, he just – and it's just there's an excitement about watching these guys. And it's that's a bad example because you didn't really watch to see him lose his temper. You watch because he was just spectacular. I mean, there are players – like Mantle was, would hit the longest home runs at that time in, in history. I mean, there's one – that they he's the one that really brought the, the the term tape measure home run to the games because they Yankees had a PR director and he hit one in Washington that went over the stadium roof across the street over a house and they found the ball in some kid's yard and he took a tape measure and measured it from the ball to the stadium wall and then he measured it from the wall to home plate and that's how they got tape measure home run but the point was he could do that but he also could fly he could just as easily bunt for a hit he was always bunting for hits I mean that's that's kind of the same thing Lamar can throw it on a rope but then he could tuck it down and he runs like the most elusive halfback you've ever seen and you know, and, and even Steph is not just a standstill shooter. He makes the most ridiculous, creates his own shot. He has games where he gets 10 rebounds. He's, you know, he just, yep. that's, that's the thing that's, that's, there are certain guys that are like that. And, um, I am really rooting for – I mean, Mahomes is damn close. I mean, he'll take the snap. He'll have three straight plays. He'll throw one pass underhand, one pass like a fastball pitcher, one pass sidearm. You know, it's going to be entertaining. By the way, I have to tell you how much I love the Kelseys. I, yeah. I just adore the Kelseys. I mean, listen, he's out of the playoffs, but he is loving his brother. I mean, Jason out there, no shirt, 21-degree temperature, drinking beers with the Bills fans. He's up in the booth up at, uh, at Bills State in the stadium for Buffalo, and he's sitting with his, with his family, his mother and father, and I guess uh, uh, Taylor Swift was there, and he's just he's loving his brother. I mean, he's, why shouldn't he root for his brother? It's he pretty... was partying with Bill's Mafia before the game, yeah, and mean, he's, his brother's playing against them. Yeah, that's fine. He's really... What do you think of the whole Taylor Swift thing? I'm rooting for those crazy kids. I'm, I'm a romantic at heart. I, I, until I find something out, and they have been so closely scrutinized, if yeah. something crappy had happened, I think I think we'd know if they came to a restaurant and treated somebody like crap. But they seemingly are both – you know, you listen to his podcast. He's got a great sense of humor. They're very funny. Um, She's, you know – It's just different. Too good to be true in some people's minds. But I think it's – I'm rooting for him. It's different versus, like, if she just goes to the home games, that's one thing. But when she's going to Buffalo and she's going to, like, Green Bay – Why shouldn't she's got enough money to fly a private jet if they go play in London? Who cares? Yeah, you figured she'd be touring. It's a sense of being rich if you can't go – you know, do stuff like that. That's right. Um, but did you see the? Uh, you've probably seen this one, but uh, the Uncle Travi video. You heard that, right? Yes. But there's another one out now. Did you see that uh, they did a video of uh, um, uh, uh, Jason uh, Kelsey? Yeah. Cut his hair, shaved his head, and this is his daughter's reaction. Uh, this is uh, this is it. I think this is it right here. Let me see. I want to make sure I'm not playing the right, playing the wrong thing here. Uh, nope. Let's try that one. I think this is it. Yeah, here it is. Listen. 
You got home? Yeah, I mean, everybody's been asking why why are you wearing a hat, Jason? I always see, like, when the dad shaves his beard or his hair, goes up to his son or daughter and see their reaction. So one of my favorite things was to see Wyatt and Elliot's reaction to the head being shaved. And Wyatt did not disappoint. <laughs> what? <laughs> your hair is gone. Your hair is gone. You like it with the hair or without the hair? <laughs> your hair is gone. <laughs> My wife, the brain is gone. <laughs> yeah. I lost a bit to Uncle Travis and cut it off. And what? He cut it off? He cut my hair off. <laughs> you have to get new hair. I do have to get new hair. Yeah. You should you should get pink hair. Pink hair? <laughs> All right. Hopefully it grows back pink. Oh, uh, I mean, how can you not love that family? That's I just fantastic. think they're awesome. She's the same one who did uh Uncle Ch- Dad, you didn't win. Uncle Travi won. I love that one. That is hilarious. That's so that's uh they're a good family. So, yeah. Uh, like I said, I put, I put. We don't know these people, you know. No, nobody knows these people, so we base our opinions on slivers of things. Yeah. And, but I've heard the story that one of the first times Taylor Swift was in the luxury booth at uh, Arrowhead, if it's still called that, yeah. in Kansas City. You know, there's a lot of rich people. Rich people leave their stuff around because they're used to having people clean up after them. Sure. And so she got up and she went to the other side of the room, and as she went, she was picking up all the empty plates and cups and bring him over to the trash. I'm kind of digging that. I'm like, you know, because she's got enough money to... I've never heard a bad thing about her. No, she's almost... That's why I said... There's a whole bunch of people who don't like her. She's too good to be true. There's got to, you know, they just... But I just... Uh, good for her. She seems nice to her fans. She's really kind to yeah. her fans. He's a riot. Uh, the Kelseys are a riot. They were on SNL last year before all this... Th- stuff after happened. he won the Super Bowl. Yeah. And he was pretty good. Yeah, if if damn Sam Laporta had come through for me, I'd had a nice parlay. I had a Sam Laporta, Travis Kelsey both get a touchdown parlay. Travis went for two. I did, however, get one parlay. I got when they were up seven. Uh, there was an in-game bet you could make, and I had a free bet. So I figured, what the hell? The limit was twenty-five dollars, but it was free. So I said, I'll throw twenty-five bucks that Kansas City will win by uh, more than seven. And thank God he didn't kick the extra point. Because if he had, they, I was laying seven and a half. And they were up eight. If he kicks the extra point, I lose. He went for two, didn't make it. <laughs> Winner. <laughs> I was like, yes, yes. Uh, that was, that's the fun of uh, sports wagering, my friends. That was uh, darned entertaining there. All right, what else we got on the program today? Let's see. We've got... Um, we got Dana O'Neill going to join us in a little bit. Mike Kinnear is going to join us. He writes uh, for The Messenger, and we'll get his thoughts on these matchups for the conference championship games. Dana O'Neill at 2.30, and um, your texts, they keep coming in, and we'll try and work some of those in during the course uh, of the show as well. So uh, we will we will roll on. Uh, Nikki, the big-headed producer, is out. Zach's here, though, and uh, contributing to the program as well. And as I said, uh, 4379680 if you want to get your... Uh, Kelsey family have flyover values. Yeah. Well, we got to take a break first, so let's do that. We'll take a break, and then we'll come back and talk to Mike Tanier. Stay with us. ESPN 680-105. 